Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Texas Ag Today here on this Independence Day weekend. Coming up on today's show, we'll take a look at the latest USDA crop acreage numbers. It looks like we're going to have more sorghum and wheat here in Texas this year and less cotton and corn. We'll check those numbers in just a bit. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The situation's not perfect, but overall things continue to be good for pork producers in the Texas High Plains. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Over the past few months, there have been calls to open more meatpacking plants across the United States. A Texas meatpacker says opening a new plant isn't as easy as it sounds. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more on that on Texas Ag Today. Now that it's really hot across Texas, we're going to talk about creating oasis in our home landscape. Please join me, John Begno, as we talk about cooling down the summer. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA released its big acreage report on Wednesday showing that Texas farmers are expected to plant more wheat, sorghum, rice, and soybeans this year and less cotton and corn. Let's take a look at some of those numbers. USDA calling for 5.6 million acres of winter wheat in Texas this year. That's up 14% from 2020. About half of that expected to be harvested for grain. That's up 10% from last year, likely due to higher wheat prices. Texas farmers expected to plant 2 million acres of grain sorghum this year, up 11% from last year. USDA forecasting 155,000 acres of soybeans, up 29%, and 195,000 acres of rice, that's up 6%. Now for the lower acreage, corn and rice. Texas corn acreage coming in at 2.1 million acres, down 7%. Farmers expected to plant 6.7 million acres of upland cotton, that's down 1%, with Pima cotton acreage forecast at 22,000 acres, down 42%. Now, of course, we're seeing a slight drop in cotton acreage here in Texas, but that's also the case nationwide, according to Dr. Jody Campici with the National Cotton Council. So the planted acreage report, USDA uh, estimated 11.7 million acres, which is down 3% from last year slight decline in upland and then ELS is a, is a bigger decline about 30 percent from last year and overall I wasn't too surprised by the report I, I do think overall acreage could come in a little bit lower the survey period for USDA's acreage report actually ended on June 17th so it doesn't account for any loss or damage that might have occurred in the last few weeks or, or acreage that maybe didn't get planted so we always kind of have to take in, that into account uh, when they release that report. Campeche says the largest cotton acreage declines are here in the southwest and in the west due to drought conditions during planting. The situation isn't perfect, but overall things continue to be good for pork producers on the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. 
Texas Pork Producers Executive Vice President Brandon Gunn says Texas High Plains hog farms are still able to achieve profits despite a recent decline in prices like we've seen with lean hog futures. Those hog futures were at record highs, so the prices coming back down were to be expected. You know, kind of like the old saying, what goes up must come down. Gunn says the markets have likely been influenced by indications that China's hog herd is on the rebound. The hog futures have gone lower as the figures from China raise questions about what the future export demand is going to be like. Because China has been a key U.S. buyer of pork since their herd was decimated by African swine fever. But again, where we're at right now is certainly a profitable market, and hopefully, you know, that continues. Aside from the markets, one concern for Texas pork operations shows up in the latest USDA hogs and pigs report. From March through May, Texas farms averaged 9.3 pigs per litter, down from an even 11 pigs per litter during the same time frame last year. Gunn believes the dip likely relates to porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, or PERS, which can cause increases in premature farrowings and pre-weaning mortality. It's an issue hog farmers deal with routinely. The important thing is to try and keep your herd negative and try and bring in replacement gilt from negative farms, proper use of quarantine when introducing, you know, animals at times. And so it's just one of those viruses that we have that's here and can travel real easily and get in there. And it's important to note PERS is not a threat to human health or food safety. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Record profits for meat packers have dominated the headlines recently, highlighting the need for more packing capacity here in the U.S. But starting a packing plant isn't easy. Jessica Domel talks with a regional Texas-based packer about the challenges they faced in their first year of operation. Over the past few months, we've talked quite a bit about investigations into the spread between the cost of meat, meat packer margins, and what ranchers and cattle feeders receive. That spread grew during the first year of the coronavirus pandemic as some packing plants were forced to close or cut down on production for worker safety. The closures prompted calls for legislative action and a push to open more meat packing plants. Recently, Kate Miller, Chief Operating Officer for Fort Worth Meatpackers, spoke at the Texas Farm Bureau Summer Leadership Conference about the issue. I would definitely say if you're a cowboy that's interested in getting involved in either a cooperative or building or buying a packer of their own to make sure you do all the research. Get a good banker, get a better accountant, and get an even better attorney. Fort Worth Meatpackers is relatively new. The Ramos family bought the packer just before COVID started in 2020. Miller said they survived the first year of the pandemic by doing custom processing. They now primarily harvest fat cattle and focus on export markets. She said anyone interested in opening a packing plant needs to really focus on sales, not just the harvesting. A lot of us in the cattle business think that just because we can raise better cattle and buy better cattle and return some margin back to producers if we owned a packer, we often overlook generating revenue through the packer. So if you're really serious about starting a packer of your own, I would put more emphasis on hiring a hustler for a sales team and making sure that you can generate cash. Recently, there have been reports that meat packers are making between $800 and $1,000 a head. Miller said they're not getting rich. I will say that times are good to be a packer for sure, but I think as an industry, we have to learn the difference between gross margin and net margin. And I can promise you that net is not anywhere close to $1,000 a head. Miller warns packers must also deal with regulators. 
You know, we have a great relationship with our USDA staff, but I think that it's important for cattlemen to know that as you start a federally inspected plant, that that's going to come with a lot of hoops to jump through, both from a food safety aspect and through a marketing aspect. Miller said overall, it is important that packers, farmers, and ranchers, and everyone involved in the beef industry work together. We're definitely pitched as adversaries on the live animal versus the meat packing side currently. I think that my sentiment of wanting to work together is how we talk about cattle and beef on social media in particular. You may hate the packers, that's certainly within your ride, but I think that we have to be careful as cattlemen not to question food safety and food integrity just because we don't like the guys we're having to do business with. That was Kate Miller from Fort Worth Meat Packers. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Jessica Domel. Summer is here and the heat is on all across Texas, but you can cool things off a bit with your landscaping. Horticulturalist John Begno tells how from San Angelo. Now that we're in the beginning of summer, summer solstice just passing, we're feeling the heat that Texas summers can provide. It is time for us to think about how July and August can be some of the hottest times. And if you think back last year, what it was like, we were kind of all in lockdown mode and we were building things and stay at home doing projects, I hope you have the opportunity to create a little personal oasis in your landscape. And if you haven't, you might consider it. You know, it's nice to go to the lakes of Texas or or to the waterfalls or places like that, but if you can't get away because you're busy working or whatever the reason, you can create an oasis in your backyard. It can be a pond. Of course, we know it could be a pool, but most of us or a lot of us are not going to have pools. We're going to have little water features like fountains, things that might cool us down a little bit on a hot summer day, but more especially make us think we're far, far away instead of in our hot backyard. So here's a great time to do a little research. It could be something really simple. I've seen some water features using aquarium pumps created with water just flowing over rocks. And if you're into water conservation mode and you want to beat up the use of water features in our landscape as a waster of water, and that's that's usually not the case. I have a beautiful pond in our backyard that takes our entire backyard up, and I argue I can use less water in that pond than I do if I had turf grass and I was watering and mowing it. So don't hesitate to use it as a water conservation feature, but more especially a place to make you feel special in your own backyard. So water features can be researched. You do a lot of work on on that to find out, but customize it. Do something a little different, maybe. Something that fits your backyard landscape design and your lifestyle. So now is a great time to create Oasis in the Backyard in Texas. This is John Begno reporting from San Angelo. This 4th of July holiday weekend, law enforcement officials will be looking for people who've had too much to drink on our waterways. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And as the weather warms up here in Texas, it brings on the flies and ticks. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture. 
on Texas Ag Today. As we get into summer, the heat brings on the flies and ticks all across Texas. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on combating these pesky pests. Even though we had a terrible winter storm in February in Texas, it is unlikely to decrease the number of ticks and flies we will see this summer. Dr. Justin Talley with Oklahoma State indicates at Drovers.com that we still need to plan on insect control practices that are economical and will increase cattle efficiency. Cattle are negatively impacted by external parasites as they cause stress to the animals, and stress can result from blood feeding or more likely the animal's reaction to the parasites. The parasites cause cattle to be less efficient at converting nutrients into weight gains or milk production. When deciding on fly control measures, it is important to determine the type of fly you are trying to control as the life cycles are different. Lots of cattle producers like using porons, but they only last about three weeks unless you use one that is absorbed systemically. The products with systemic activity like ivermectin and moxidectin will usually have some effect against flies and ticks for about 45 days and will also affect internal parasites. Lots of producers use oilers, but you need to make sure it is set up so that at least 75% of the herd is treated. It is recommended to mix the pesticide with number two diesel or mineral oil. Insecticide ear tags can be effective up to three months as long as you rotate the different chemicals in the tags every application. Spraying cattle in small herds can be effective, but the method depends on the parasite being treated. To treat for ticks, you want to treat the head and brisket area plus the udder area and between the legs. Sprays may last up to two weeks and more of the animal needs to be sprayed if you are treating ticks versus just treating for flies. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Of course, we love to get out on the water during holiday weekends like this, and that means water safety should be a top priority. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. If you plan on fishing, riding a jet ski, driving a boat, or otherwise hanging out on the water this 4th of July weekend, you'll likely see law enforcement out in full force. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, U.S. Coast Guard, and local law enforcement will be looking for people who have had too much to drink. Texas Game Warden Captain Logan Griffin says boating under the influence may lead to jail time, fines, and the loss of your driver's license. Boating while intoxicated is something that we take very seriously and we enforce on the waterways 365 days a year. He says drinking while on a boat may have a different effect on people than drinking on land. Traditionally, it's, you know, you're out, it's sunny, it's windy. You know, you may not be eating on traditional schedules. You may not be drinking the same amount of water. Um, Of course, your equilibrium on the water is usually kind of mixed up. And yes, you can see multiplied effects of alcohol on the water. In 2020, Texas game wardens made 193 criminal arrests for boating while intoxicated. Griffin said game wardens will be out on the water ensuring everyone is being safe, has the proper safety gear, and has the proper paperwork. Boaters are reminded that there must be life jackets for every person on board a vessel. Children under the age of 13 must be wearing them when the boat is underway or drifting. Game wardens will also be checking to ensure that boaters are abiding by Cali's law. It's named for a 16-year-old who was struck and killed by a boat propeller near Aranda's Pass in 2012. All personal watercrafts and vessels, if they are equipped with a kill switch device, it must be worn while operating. That was Game Warden Captain Logan Griffin. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. 
We normally don't see a lot of movement in our agricultural markets heading into a holiday weekend, but that was not the case on Friday. We'll take a look at how they wrapped up the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets Friday coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Do you know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Traders packed it up and headed home on Friday for the long holiday weekend with a lower close in live cattle, higher in feeder cattle. Let's start with the live cattle. August down $1.57 at 122 even. The October down $1.17, 128.07. December down 42 cents at 132.77. Higher prices for feeder cattle. August up 72 cents, 157.05. September feeders up 35, 159.42. The October up 40 cents at 161.47. No cash fed cattle trade to talk about. We wrapped up the week's trade with most of the cattle bringing around 122 here in the south. Up north, dress cattle were 198 and higher. Box beef prices lower on Friday. Choice down a dollar eighty-seven, two eighty-five seventy-eight. Select down a dollar twenty-seven at two sixty-five sixty-six. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. We're on the line with Benny Cox, producers in Cargyle, San Angelo. Benny, what was the trend on the sheep and goat sale? Compared to the week before, the slaughter lambs yesterday from 15 to 25 higher. Some of those bigger buck lambs could have been higher than that, and they want them to be definitely over six months of age. And so the bigger ones were the ones that the, where the light shined the, the brightest yesterday. Slaughter ewes, they're kind of five to ten higher. Kid goats now, they didn't fare so well. They were 20 to $30 lower. Definitely on the better end of those. Now, that's on the kid goats. The muttons we've been talking about, that was a different story. They got along real well with those. Tell uh, these uh, these Spanish or slaughtered type nannies from 180 all the way up to 275, but mostly 210 to 232, which is much like the week prior. Uh, these big uh, mature billies, 220 to 305, mostly 260 to 290 on them. Uh, on those light end of those slaughtered lambs, those hair sheep type from 240 all the way up to 294. The heavyweights from 220 all the way to 276. Some of those weighing up there over 100 pounds, right? 270. Those slaughter ewes selling range 90, 138, mostly 107 to 120. Kid goats, 270 to 380, but mostly 275 to 325, with some of those larger muttons at 444 a pound. There was 99 of those muttons in one group that weighed 109, brings $484 a head. And then he had another 53 in another group that weighed 120, that brought 428, bring $513 a head. Now that's that's uh, that's getting her done right there. Sure is, and make a payment to the bank. There you go. And everybody needs to remember, we will not have any sheep sale or cattle sale next week. Tell everybody how to contact you if they need you. Well, they can call me at 325-234-4277. The office is 653-3371. They can always look at the website, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, that was Benny Cox from Producers and Cargyle, San Angelo. I'm Larry Marble from Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day. 
Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed mixed Friday. July contract up $1.35, 10865. August down seven cents at one hundred dollars twenty-two cents. A mixed close in class three milk with July up three cents, sixteen eighty a hundred weight. August milk down ten at sixteen seventy-four. A nice gain in the cotton market to wrap up the trade on Friday. In fact, uh, we were triple digits higher in all of our nearby contracts. That makes up for the big losses that we had on Wednesday following the acreage report. We actually ended up higher on most of our contracts for the week. Concerns over the weather helping to boost prices. We've gotten big rains out in West Texas in the Panhandle. Also reporting a lot of rain in the Delta. And the southeast is eyeing Hurricane Elsa making its way toward Florida. So all of those factors helping to boost cotton prices on Friday, October up 102 points, 87.51. The December up 107 at 86.97. Corn market finishing lower. The nearby July old crop contract got hit the hardest. It was down 22 and a half, 697 and a quarter. We still have over a dollar spread between that old crop July and the new crop September. September corn down nine and three quarters, five ninety two a bushel. December down nine and a quarter, five seventy nine and three quarters. The wheat market finishing with double digit losses. Harvest pressure continuing to push prices lower, as well as the drop in the corn market. July Kansas City wheat down twenty and a quarter, six eleven and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down twelve and three quarters, six forty five and three quarters. Rough rice sharply lower. September rice down thirty two cents, thirteen fourteen a hundred weight. Soybeans slightly higher. November beans up three and a half, thirteen ninety nine a bushel. July soybean meal down a dollar ninety three seventy nine ninety a ton. In the energy markets, August natural gas up three three sixty nine. August crude oil down a penny seventy five twenty two a barrel. The financial markets were higher. The Dow up one hundred thirty seven points thirty four thousand seven seventy. The Nasdaq up ninety seven at fourteen thousand six nineteen. The S and P up twenty seven points four thousand three forty seven. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. See you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or dfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.